God's Word this morning comes from Exodus chapter 3, which is printed in the insert uh, in your bulletin. Beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. 
And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Our most gracious and merciful Father, we come before you with thanks this morning, thanking you that you have provided for all of our needs. You have provided for all of our needs, certainly in the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing. But you have also provided for us temporally in this life. And so we return to you now what you have first given to us, what has come from your hand. We return these gifts, these tithes, and these offerings, asking that you would use them for your glory in this world, that your kingdom would be advanced upon this earth, that all the nations would hear the wonderful good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray together as we now approach your word that you would help us to see this good news, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that in hearing it, you would wake the dead, bring them to life. We pray that you would challenge those who need to be challenged, that you would comfort those who are mourning. Father, we pray that you would take us to see Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you're visiting this morning, this summer we've been traveling through some key stories in the Old Testament to to really to see how every story in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. It's a phrase I've used a couple of times, I know already, um, but I don't think I've ever mentioned that. I borrowed it from a lady named Sally Lloyd-Jones who wrote this wonderful uh, children's Bible storybook uh, called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, and I would I would tell you that whether you're seven or 70, this is a book that you should get and read through um, because that's what she's doing. She's driving this point home that every story in the Bible speaks to us of Jesus. And this morning, we find ourselves in that long passage that we read from Exodus chapter 3, which happens to be one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But we're there to see how that story whispers to us the name of Jesus. Um, a couple of years ago, a couple summers ago, uh, my family went to Disney World, and um, many of you have been before, but that was my first trip uh, to Disney World. And I had seen a lot of my friends' pictures from Disney World, and I had looked it up on the Internet, and I had seen thousands of commercials like you have for Disney World. Um, I had people help me plan our trip. I watched the travel channels, you know, top ten things to do in Disney World. I did it all. but and So I knew it was a big deal. I knew there was a lot, um, and, and I knew some of the things that I would see there. But coming through that gate and turning the corner... And seeing that castle, you know, for the first time in real life, it was suddenly everything was bigger than I had imagined, right? And and if you've been there, you know. Um, With all the preparation that I had done, I was still unprepared for that moment, right? The attention to detail there was far greater than anything I could have anticipated, right? Um, The the parks were larger than I expected, Um, the strollers and the food were far more expensive than I had expected. Um, Disney knows what they're doing. Um, but listen, we've all had moments like this, whether it was experiencing a place like that or 
meeting someone for the first time or, or going through a particular event in our lives, when all of a sudden our imagined view of how things would be are confronted with reality itself. You know, when speculation and imagination give way to the concrete uh, and the hard and the real. You know, I know that Moses' story here in Exodus chapter 3, it's unique in some ways, right? Certainly, a literal burning bush and this audible conversation with God. But see, in this story, I think we see what happens when you actually meet the real God. And it's the same for us as it was for Moses. When you actually meet God and move from speculation and imagination to the real encounter, and it's deeper and it's more profound than what you could have imagined or what I could have imagined. You know, this is a long passage. Um, It was good for us to read the whole story, but we're not going to look at every detail in the passage. But I do want you to see three things that I think are at the heart of this story. And it's this, when you meet the real God, he, one, reveals the worst in you, and two, he, he responds to you with provision. And three, he solves the contradiction in your life. Um, that third point, if you're a note taker and you see the outline in the bulletin, it's different. I changed it. This is what happens when you have to send things off to the presses early. But um, anyway, first, when you meet the real God, he reveals the worst in you, right? Many of us think, um, you know, if I had something like this, you know, a literal burning bush experience, if I heard God speak audibly, you know, then I would have real confidence. It, it would maybe it would be you think it would be the happiest day of your life to have an experience like this. You know, you think my doubts would be gone. You know, I would have real confidence, more certainty. All of a sudden I would begin to live with much more boldness, uh, much more courage. But this story and many other stories in the Bible, by the way, they run completely counter to that 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 kind of thinking. When people meet the real God, they are afraid, terrified. They hide their faces from God like Moses does early on in this passage or like Isaiah. We read a portion of his experience in the in our order of worship. Isaiah, who saw God's holiness and then cried out, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. What he's saying in God's presence is. I'm a dead man walking. It's over for me. See, to meet the real God is to be brought into a light that exposes you. You know, in my house, I would love that all the mirrors in my house were surrounded by very, very dim light. Um, Because, you know, mirrors, when you get into really, really good light, they show all the blemishes. They show all the flaws. They show all the imperfections. And we don't like that kind of thing. And but this is what happened to Moses. God revealed himself to Moses as the holy God. He says, take off your sandals. The place you are standing is holy ground. And in the light of holiness, Moses brokenness was completely exposed. Right. And he was afraid and he hid his face. And look at this conversation that Moses has with God throughout the passage. Right. He isn't brimming with confidence once he he, once he meets God. All his terrible insecurities come gushing to the surface. Right. It's almost embarrassing to read through that conversation. We kind of start to feel like, man, pull yourself together, man. You know, get a grip. But that's the point of the story. He cannot get a grip. He is coming completely undone at the seams in God's presence. There are so many ways that you see this throughout the passage. But look, even after God explains that he's going to deliver Israel through Moses, Moses is paralyzed by insecurity. 
Right, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, he's talking back to God out of his insecurity. And even when God reassures Moses of his presence and his promise in verse 12, Moses is still backpedaling, right? Not me. Who am I? You know, I don't even know your name. You know, why is Moses so terribly insecure in God's presence? It's because he can't hide there, right? It's because he's exposed what comes pouring out of him is his weakness, not his strength, his inability, not his ability, right? Uh, you know, uh, everything just comes pouring out, all his fears, not his courage, right? Many of us are so familiar with this story about Moses leading Israel out of Egypt that we tend to forget. We forget that he is now 80 years old, right? Living out in the desert. Earlier in his life, he had tried, you read this in chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus, right? Earlier in his life, he had tried to act as a deliverer. And, you, and you know, he used his strength to use his credentials, his influence, his courage to deliver the Israelites. But you know what happened? He fell flat on his face. He was rejected by both the Egyptians and the Hebrews. Both of them rejected him. And he's banished to the wilderness for the last 40 years of his life. Over the last 40 years, 14,600 days in the wilderness, Moses had come to grips with his failure Right. His brokenness, his inability. And now Moses is standing before perfect holiness itself and he's completely exposed. He can't hide all his insecurities, all his imperfections, all his brokenness gush to the surface. He is coming undone and he's saying, you've got the wrong guy. It can't be me. Just look at my resume. I can remember this one time. I went roller skating as a kid, um, cool kid that I was, probably in about fifth or sixth grade, and um, and everything was going great, and we're having fun uh, with all our friends there, and then they they turned the black light on um, in the skating rink, and it was awesome for a moment, right? We're looking at everybody's glowing smiles and the laces on their skates glowing and all that kind of stuff, awesome stuff for fifth grader or whatever, and uh, it was awesome until I looked down at my what I thought was a white shirt that I had worn in there um, that looked perfectly fine. But all of a sudden, under the black light, all of these stains showed up everywhere. I was just so embarrassed. You know, nobody was going to couple skate with me now. It was over. Um, it's big stuff for a sixth grader. Um, but my point is this. When you come into the light of God's presence, when you really meet him, you see your filth, Right. The spots, the blemishes, the failures, the imperfections, everything you have done in this life to avoid him and pretend he isn't there. Every way you have tried to play God in your own life, determining what is right and wrong. So my question for you in this first point is, have you had that experience in God's presence? Have you rightly come undone at the seams in the light of his holiness and had to face your inability and your brokenness? See, if you haven't, you're probably hiding in the dark. And, and do you know the most efficient way to avoid and to hide? This is going to sound weird when I, I first say it, but the best way to avoid God is to avoid sin in your life. Be, because you see, you try to be good enough, conservative enough, tolerant enough, pure enough, whatever your thing is, to hide behind the resume of your goodness, your ability, and your accomplishments. And when you meet the real God, the reality of your brokenness is what's on display. And I'm asking you the question, are you avoiding him? Are you avoiding the reality of your sin and your brokenness? Now, listen, Moses 
as bad as that sounds, Moses is right where God wants him to be. Because second, when you meet God, God responds to the worst in you with his provision. You really need to understand this. When we see the worst in Moses, his, all his insecurities, God doesn't say, stop it. You're awesome, champ. You know, go get him, tiger. He doesn't say any of that. But listen, on the other hand, he also doesn't say, I'll fix that about you. And poof, you know, all his insecurities and all that inability and weakness are gone in a moment. And that's what many of us want, some kind of magic formula where we can come into God's presence and poof, all of that stuff is gone. But that's not what Moses does, or that's not what God does with Moses. One scholar, Alec Moitier, he writes very insightfully about this, I think. He says, the Lord did not take away or even promise to take away Moses' nervousness or to impart boldness to him. Moses' reaction was, I can't. Therefore, I won't. But the Lord sought to bring him to the point where he would say, I can't, but he can. Therefore, I will. You see, you are broken and fallen and unable. But the whole point of this story God is saying to Moses, the whole point of this encounter is that you would look at me and see that I am able. And that's the real beauty. The floodlights, they come on and they reveal our sin. They expose it, but immediately God is ready to respond with provision. And he responds first by providing Moses a sign in verse 12. I will be with you and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And listen, when God says that, a couple of things had to have jumped out of that to Moses, especially. First, this mountain that God is talking about was not on the way Uh, not on the way to Canaan from Egypt. You just have to get out a a simple map to figure that out. Pretty simple geography. And second, the you at the end of the verse, in you shall serve, it really should be translated the southern y'all because it's plural, right? He is saying all of Israel is going to be with you. Listen, an immediate dramatic sign is not what Moses needed. I mean, this is something distant and in the future. It hasn't happened yet. That wouldn't have, you know, to give him something immediate wouldn't have provided for Moses' faith. God is saying, you are going to have to trust me. That's the way this works. I, even when it looks like you aren't on the way to this mountain, even when you think you, you will not deliver all of Israel, they will be with you on this mountain. He provides Moses with a sign in the distant future to say, this is how it works, Moses. You have to live by faith and not by sight. You have to trust me. That's the way it works. And let's go on. When Moses says in verse 13, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God responds by providing Moses with his name. Right? You see it in the passage. I am who I am. A lot of great things that we could say about the name that God gives to Moses. God is known by a lot of different titles in the Bible. But this, he says, is his name, not his title. This is his name. You know, we're quite removed from the world of ancient Egypt, but... You try to hear this with Moses' ears. In Egypt, there were many, many gods, right? And to know the name of a god in that culture was no small thing. Because, you see, names are what gave you access to these gods. And so if you knew the name of the god of fertility, for instance, you could go to that god and ask him for children. If you knew the, if you knew the name of the god of sun or rain, you could go to that god and ask him for, for a blessing of good crops, right? The name gave you access. God in giving Moses not a title, but his name was in effect saying, I am giving you full access to me. 
I mean, here's Moses saying, not me. I'm the wrong guy. Look at what a mess I am. And the holy God responds by bringing him all the way in. My name brings you before my face, gives you access to me. My special covenant name, full of meaning, ushers you into my presence. Here's how we often understand access granted by names. We say things like, this is a pretty normal phrase, most of you have heard it. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Right? And by that we mean, when you know someone's name, doors that otherwise would have been shut to you are now wide open. So, so you, know, you, know, you know what I'm talking about here. To know the owner of that business personally, it moves your application through the process a little faster, right? Maybe knowing someone socially gets you into a social circle that otherwise would have been closed to you. Different names open different doors. If you can drop the right name, you're given access. And God gives this broken man, this 80-year-old failure living out in the wilderness, right? This enslaved nation, he gives them his name, access to doors that no other name in the universe can happen, can, can open. You have access to the king of the universe by his personal name. This is a big, big deal. A long time ago, I shared this favorite story of mine that comes from the Revolutionary War. A young man named Jonathan Meigs during that time period, um, he courted a young woman. But when he proposed to her, she rejected him. And he was crushed by that rejection, right? Years went by, and crushed by that rejection, he vowed that he would never marry again, that he would never love again, right? But a few years later, this young woman, she changed her mind. And she sent him correspondence that was just two words, like the first text message, right? And that, those two words were these, return, Megs. That was it. Those two words... But he called those words, those two words, the most wonderful welcome words he had ever heard in his life. Eventually, that couple had a baby boy, and they named that baby boy after those most wonderful welcome words he had ever heard. They named that baby boy Return. Return makes. So every time they spoke it, they would be reminded. And in that family, that name was so special that it was passed down to a boy in every generation of that family. Never to be forgotten. God responds to Moses by providing him a sign that says, rest in me, trust in me, fix your eyes upon me and my ability and not your own. But God also brings him all the way in by his name. He gives this broken, insecure, failed man access to him, access to I am who I am. His wonderful, welcoming name that was to be remembered throughout the generations. That's what it says in verse 15. And that's good news for us. To be in God's presence brings out the worst in you, strips you bare and faced with your sinfulness in his presence. That's the moment God responds with his provision. Sinner though you are, come all the way in by my name. Well, finally, I want to see that God solves the contradiction. Now, you know, not only did I change the third point on you this morning, but you're probably also thinking, what contradiction? I'm going to try to show you this because points one and two, there's a certain tension that exists between those two points that we talked about this morning. Moses, when he meets God, God speaks to Moses from this burning bush, right? A bush that burns but isn't consumed by the fire. Now, that's a bit of contra a contradiction right there, isn't it? Fire naturally, naturally consumes its fuel, the wood, the bush, whatever. But this fire is very, very different. It doesn't need fuel to burn, 
right? It doesn't need fuel to exist. It doesn't need fuel to be. And you see how that parallels with the name that God has given Moses. I am who I am. God is saying, I am the holy, self-existent, self-sufficient God, right? The beginning and the end, he is saying, meet in me. And that means you have to deal with me, Moses, on my terms, right? He doesn't give him the name, Moses, I am who you want me to be. He says, Moses, I am who I am. And that means that your life is meant to line up with that reality, with my reality. Do you, do you realize this about fire as opposed to something like clay or, or water or even rock? You know, I'm certainly not the first to point this out, but you can shape clay with your hands. You can shape water. You can even shape rock. But fire, you cannot shape fire. No, you try to touch it and you are the one that gets shaped by the fire. Listen, all throughout Scripture, fire very clearly communicates absolute holiness. Again, the scholar I mentioned earlier, Alec Moitier, he writes, holiness endangers the sinner because the holiness of the Lord is not a passive attribute, but an active force embracing all that conforms to it and destroying all that offends. Fire does the shaping. Holiness does the shaping. Now, stay with me just a couple more minutes. I, I know I'm throwing a lot out at you this morning, but a bush on fire that doesn't burn up, you know, is not consumed. That's a contradiction, but that's not the main contradiction in this story that we just read. You remember the first point, right? God reveals the worst in us, right? His holiness, it comes and it casts a spotlight and exposes all of our blemishes, flaws and imperfections and brokenness. All the ways we are not holy. And then remember the second point, right? God responds with provision. He gives Moses his name, full access. Come all the way in, Moses. But how? I mean, how can that be possible, right? How can perfect holiness that is an active force, how can perfect holiness bring a broken sinner all the way in? Let me show you the contradiction in the passage. In verse 4, God called to Moses out of the bush. Moses, Moses. Right? In this culture, you would use repetition for emphasis. I mean, God is beckoning to Moses. Come close, get all the way in my presence, come near me, right? But then you look at the very next verse and it says, Moses, do not come near. Right? Do you see the contradiction? Come here, Moses. Get away from me, Moses. Come close. Stay back. Right? So what's the deal? The burning bush is helping Moses to see that he is the real contradiction in this story. Moses, why aren't you consumed? I mean, you are on holy ground. You should be consumed, burn up, and destroyed. That's the contradiction that has to be solved in Moses' life and in your life and in my life. How can you get in? How can you come close? How can you enjoy the Holy God's favor while you are a broken mess? I'm glad you asked because that would have been an awkward way to end the sermon. The contradiction, it's solved because of something in verse 2, right? The, listen to verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Unfortunately, I can't do a whole thing on it here, but when you read the Old Testament, you realize that the angel of the Lord isn't an ordinary angel. It's a very specific title. And whenever this angel shows up, people are terrified and afraid and frightened by holiness, but not consumed. And whenever this angel shows up, 
He doesn't direct worship away from himself to God, but he receives worship and he welcomes worship. Listen to. Well, here's what I'm trying to say. This angel is both at the same time different from and also synonymous with God himself. Listen to the theologian John Calvin. He writes, the ancient teachers of the church have rightly understood the angel of the Lord to be the eternal son of God in respect to his office as mediator. In other words, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate son of God, Jesus himself. And he is here in this story as the mediator. And that's the only reason Moses is not consumed, because God was there in his consuming holiness, but also there in his grace and mercy. Here's the good news of Exodus chapter three. And what you find when you meet the real God, you find this God is severe in his holiness, but he is also so, so very severe in his grace and his mercy. A couple of years ago, I heard this great story and probably get some of the details wrong in retelling it. But basically, a father had taken his two children camping somewhere in California, and they had gotten far off the path out in the middle of nowhere, really. But um, anyway, while they're camping, they they first smelled the smoke of a forest fire. And then they heard it coming, roaring toward them. And there was absolutely no way for this family to outrun the flames out in the middle of nowhere. And so this quick thinking father, he used their little campfire that they had to burn this huge circle out in the middle of the forest. Right. And then all of it, you know, and then once that was done, they all stepped into that burned over patch of ground ground. And, you know, you know where this is going, right? There was nothing left for that fire to consume when it reached them. And they they were left unharmed and untouched. By that fire, it simply swept over them. The whisper of Jesus' name in Exodus 3. Jesus went into the fire of God's holy justice with all your brokenness, all your sin, all your flaws, all your imperfections, past, present, and future. He was consumed in your place. He was crushed for you. And only when you stand in him, in the burned over place, will you not be harmed. Listen, if you aren't a Christian this morning, allow me to both warn you of the fire of God's holy justice and also encourage you to run to that burned over place. Run to the cross where Jesus was consumed in your place. Lay your deadly doing down all those things on your resume, those good things that keep you from facing your broken condition and run to the cross to find the place where holiness and grace meet, where justice and mercy shake hands. I mean, go there as you are and come near all the way into God's holy presence. His holiness is severe, but so is his grace. And if you are a Christian, I think this is what God is constantly trying to teach you in your life. Keep coming back to the cross. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that solves the contradictions of your life. I mean, don't try to go beyond the cross. You make a mess out of your life when you go beyond the cross. You are to only go deeper to go deeper and deeper into the cross and find out more and more what you are really like and more and more what the amazing grace of God is really like. And when you do that, you will find holiness shaping you without harming you. Holiness shaping you to be more and more like Jesus. One last picture of fire before we close. This is really all over the place in the Bible. Remember this story at the beginning of the Bible when man fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, right? It's paradise in the Garden of Eden. 
But they fell into sin and placed at the, at the entrance into that garden was a cherubim. And what did he have but a flaming sword guarding the way back to the tree of life? Listen, you know it and I know it. We are broken and this world is broken. You weren't made for life like this. We were not made for it. We were made for paradise. And the story of the Bible is the story of God himself who became man and went through that flaming sword for his creation. It fell upon him at the cross. And when it did, he came and whispered a promise to everyone who rests in him. It will not always be like this. Through him will come into paradise again. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, the God who is holy, holy, holy. We come into your presence by your name, by the name of Jesus. We come into your presence knowing that you are not only holy, but that you are also full of grace and mercy. Father, help us to stop running and to stop hiding from our brokenness. Help us to face our brokenness. Help us to find, look to you to find our provision. Father, may we see that in Jesus all the contradictions are solved. How you can be both a holy, holy, holy God and a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of loving kindness. Father, we pray that you would shape us with this truth, that you would allow us this very day to find rest in that burned over place at the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.